let's jump into this morning on a brand spanking new collection of teachings titled, He Has a Reputation. And for the next five weeks, we're going to showcase, we're going to showcase five Old Testament stories where God comes through for his people, not necessarily when they want him to, but when they need him to. Does anybody need God in 2023? Come on. Does anybody need God to come through for you in 2023? I'm here to tell you that you serve a God who always comes through for his kids. Just not when you want him to, but when you need him to. I want to share with you a story about a girl named Lily. Lily was this beautiful girl, probably 15 or 16 years old when I first met her. And Lily had short, bobbed, dark hair and Lily wore very dark articles of clothing, and Lily would put on very dark makeup. It was as if Lily was trying to communicate with her appearance something that was going on inside of her, this, this inner reality that she was wearing on her exterior. And I met Lily in the summer of 2017. Perhaps it was 18. My memory is a little fuzzy. And she had signed up to go to Florida where we were taking the youth group for summer camp. Nothing like taking a holy group of teenagers to the most unholy place in Florida, Panama City Beach, Florida, for their summer camp experience. But she signed up nonetheless. And so I got to meet Lily, and she is a sweetheart. And I could tell right when I met Lily that this girl was really excited to go to the beach for a week with her friends, but was very, very cautious about God and all of the programming the staff team and I had done to present God in an attractive way to Lily. And so she jumped on the bus like the rest of the hundred or so teenagers did, and we went down to Panama City Beach, Florida. But you must know that the team and I, we spent months, months, planning every little detail of this strip. I mean, you can imagine what it would take to take almost 100 teens to the beach for a week and the logistics and the administration. It's kind of a miracle it happened at all, right? And so when we got there, we fully expected, I mean, we were prayed up, that God would break through to these teenagers. And for whatever reason, Lily just was in my heart and on my mind because I could tell she was an outsider assimilating in. And I didn't know what God wanted to do in Lily's heart, but I knew that God wanted to do something to reach this young woman. She was cautious and she kept God at arm's length. And it was obvious. It was telling. There was enough signals in her life that she wasn't all that interested in God. But the staff team and I believed deep down that every teenager there was going to have an encounter with Jesus. Because that's what youth pastors have to do. They have to live in full faith mode all of the time. We know God's going to break through here at the beach and, and reach these kids for Christ. And I thought for sure that it would be night one or night two that God would encounter Lily in a transformative way, and, and I got to see her move from death to life, but it didn't happen. I didn't see it on night one, and I didn't see it on night two, and I, well, I thought for sure, well, night three, that's the night, right? That's the night. That, after all the games and all the music and all of the subpar preaching that we gave all these youth, that surely, surely Lily would encounter Jesus in this new transformative way. But then night three passed and nothing happened in this young woman. And then night four passed. 
And I began to doubt. I began to seriously doubt if God was going to introduce himself to Lily. So I didn't know what I was going to do. I didn't know where I was going to go. I didn't know how to have God break through in, in Lily's life in this fresh, new way. And I desperately wanted to see God move. I didn't know what was going to happen. And then night five happened. I was like, well, this is like youth pastor summer camp cry night. Surely on night five, this is when God was going to show up. This is when God was going to break through. This is when God was going to introduce himself to Lily for the first time. And night five happened. And all of the moments happened. And there Lily sat, untransformed, not moving, unsure of what was going to happen next. So I looked at her. I said, God, why not Lily? Why not Lily? Why isn't this young girl going from death to life? And I didn't hear an answer. And I just saw Lily sit there while all the other teenagers had their hands in the air praising this God that they'd had an encounter with. But Lily just sat there unmoved, untransformed. I remember feeling sad. I remember feeling defeated. I remember thinking to myself, it's night five. If it doesn't happen tonight, there's no way that Lily's life is going to change forever. And I was pained from the inside out. I mean, after all, we had spent countless hours praying, money spent, money raised. We had planned every game perfectly to make the kids laugh and every bit of programming to get them interested in Jesus. Why wasn't God breaking through to this young woman? This young girl who had sweetest heart ever, but heart that was far from God. And I sat there and I looked at Lily and I'm like, why God? We've done everything possible to see this girl's life change. Why isn't it changing? And you have done everything possible within your means to see this thing in your life come to pass and nothing's happening. And the human heart can only withstand so much discouragement and you find yourself saying there's no way it would be one thing to say there's no way if you're going to trying to finish like a, i don't know like a giant pizza you order like there's no way i'm going to finish this pizza or if you're going to like maybe you entered a 5k race you're like there's no way i'm going to finish this 5k well it's because of the giant pizza you just ordered previously that's why but it's something different entirely when the thing that you've prayed about and sacrificed for and gotten good counsel on and planned for and asked God's power to move for, nothing happens. That's something different entirely. That's like next level discouragement. In a moment of vulnerability, my hope is that your heart will open wide. I am often haunted by the possibility the vision of our church is too big. A thousand spirit-filled people by 2030. And the words, there's no way, would surface in my heart. And I'm often tempted to resign faith to the possibility that our end-of-year giving campaign is just too high, too much. And I hear the words well up in my spirit, there's no way. 
And I will be confronted with my limitations at all the wrong times, coming to terms with my abilities or lack thereof, like the liabilities of my parenting, the liabilities being a husband, my shortcomings as a pastor, my shortcomings as a follower of Jesus. And I feel the words well up in my spirit say, there's no way. And there's also no way that I'm the only one that has experienced this. And so I want to speak to the ache of the human heart right now. And just, you're in good company. You are in familiar company. And that the church of God should be the most transparent people on earth. And you don't have to raise your hand or say anything out loud, but... Maybe you could take a second and examine your own heart and ask yourself, where in my life have I said to God, there's no way that my daughter is ever coming home? That I will ever get out of the mountains and years of financial turmoil I've subjected myself to. There's no way my boss will see me and promote me. There's no way my husband will come home. There's, there's no way we'll be able to have children. There's no way. Because the human condition can only handle so much discouragement. And yet at the very same time, I have a deeply embedded conviction that this is no way to live. In a perpetual state of discouragement, as I looked at Lily, with all of the external signals of hopelessness, and yet everything around her was in her favor for hope. Finding, finding myself saying there's no way. Surely we are not the only generation of people that have found themselves materializing these words in our hearts before we speak them with our mouths. We are not the first people group on planet Earth that have faced discouragement or faced our limitations, or wondered where God was in a season where nothing was happening. Surely there have been other followers of Jesus that have been long before us that have faced this very same thing and overcome it. What did the people who lived long before us do to quell this depressive state of being? I believe we see these very people in the Israelite nation. God's chosen people to have a personal relationship with. This is an old covenant people, an Old Testament group of people God wanted to reign with, wanted to have his kingdom come and be inhabited in this people group, and they would partner together to rule the earth. And the Israelite nation, their story is the human story, the wavering, the wandering and even God's verbal revelation of himself was still not enough to keep the hearts and minds focused on him. And they lived in a perpetual cycle of discouragement and ups and downs. There are no people more justified in all of the counsel of God than that of the Israelite nation to say the words, there's no way. Would you open your Bibles with me this morning to Exodus 14? We're going to read a story from the Bible, from the scriptures that showcase this dilemma. 
Because many of you this morning have walked in here and you didn't have the words to say it, but you are feeling the ache of the words. There's no way. And I believe that the Bible has the power to pierce through human hearts and bring us to life again and put us on a path of faith once more. This is what the word of God says in Exodus chapter 14. To give you a little bit of context before we dive right in, if you've ever seen the movie The Prince of Egypt, this story will make sense. This is the story of the Israelite nation escaping captivity from slavery in Egypt after 400 years, and God raises up a man named Moses, and Moses is able to lead this nation out of Egypt and into and on the way to the promised land. And perhaps this story we can see what God does with the human hearts that say there is no way. Verse 10 in chapter 14 says, As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up, and there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified and cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. And Moses answered the people, do not be afraid, stand firm, and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. The Israelite nation was on their way to the promised land, but they had to cross the Red Sea first. Now, can you imagine? Not a lot of floatables in that day. They didn't have a lot of boats to just jump on to get across the Red Sea and on their way to the land of Canaan, the land of the promised, the promised land. And so they are running. They're running away from the Egyptian army, their primary foes, their enemies, the ones who want to re-enslave them back again in Egypt. And so their fear is acute and felt and panic-filled. And here they are running away from the Egyptian army, looking to Moses to lead them away from Egypt into the Promised Land. And then they come face to face with reality. Are we going to swim all these people across the Red Sea? I mean... Look behind us. Look behind us. We can see them. We can see this army. We can see this army of Egyptians come after us at full force. And we're met there at the Red Sea with water. And they're going to get us. Who has a plan to get us across this Red Sea? And some of you this morning are facing a Red Sea in your life. Not to get cute with the text. But you're facing something you don't know how you're going to get over. You're facing something you don't know how you're going to get across. But the first revelation, the first reputation that we have here in the text is that God's authority goes unthreatened in the face of whatever battle you're facing. And some of you have convinced yourself that the battle you are facing is more authoritative than the God you sing to. But the text says otherwise. The Bible demonstrates and showcases otherwise that there is no battle, nothing that you are facing that has more authority than God. 
He has a reputation. And his reputation is one of authority. And that authority is more powerful than whatever battle you are facing this morning. Some of you walked in here with a battle. Some of you walked in here facing your Red Sea. And it is so overwhelming. And it is so panic-filled. And it is so fear-filled that you almost didn't make it here this morning. And you're not sure what you're going to do. But God's word has a message for you. That the authority of the battle in your life comes under the authority of God in your life. That you must believe deep down that God's authority transcends your battle. It transcends whatever it is that you are facing. Look at verse 15. Then the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Looking back at the Israelite nations like, don't cry to me. Tell the Israelites to move on. Raise your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea to divide the water so that the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they will go in after them. I will gain glory through Pharaoh and all his army, through the chariots and his horsemen. The Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I, am, when I gain glory through Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. And then the angel of God, who had been traveling in front of Israel's army, withdrew and went behind them. He's got your leadership and he's got your back. The pillar of cloud also moved from in front and stood behind them, coming between the armies of Egypt and Israel. Throughout the night, the cloud brought darkness to the one side and light to the other side, so neither went near the other all night long. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and all that night the Lord drove back the sea with a strong east wind and turned it into dry land. And the waters were divided and the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with all, with a wall of water on their right and on their left. I want you to imagine putting yourself in the shoes of the Israelites for a moment that God has asked them to go up to the Red Sea and then Moses is called to participate in God's power by raising his staff. And then God sends a wind and pushes water back to the right and to the left. And as the Israelite nation were to walk into this, they look to their left and they look to their right. Can you imagine the fear and the awe? Put yourself in their shoes momentarily, looking at, at hundreds of feet of water that by all other physics standards should be on top of you but is next to you. Some of you prefer drowning than trusting God with whatever battle you're faced in right now. And you are sitting lonely at night wondering if your life is worthy of living. You're lonely, you have, no, you have no friends, you have no community, you're wondering if God loves you, and you're living in this permanent, perpetual state of depressiveness, and you begin to wonder if God's love is real, and if this whole God figure is actually real, and you're facing a sea, you're facing a battle so acute, so real, that you're wondering if you want to go on. But if you were to look at this story and you were to believe that God's power and authority is sufficient enough to push back the water, 
in a way so as not to drown you, so as to protect you, so as to provide a way for you. If you knew that God was a way maker and that you are not a way maker, you are a way walker. And that God provides ways for us, but not always do we walk the ways he's provided. And some of you are looking at the Red Sea, wondering if it's going to part, and God's waiting on your faith to rise to his power. Look at reputation number two. God will do it for you, but not without you. He asked Moses to raise his staff above the Red Sea. God wanted participation. God wanted him to be all in on God's power. We've heard the human mottos, God helps those who help themselves. Or the motto of don't do for someone what they won't do for themselves. And so we've tricked ourselves thinking like, well, God will only do it if blank, blank, blank. God will do it for you. He knows you are not capable of doing it on your own, but he won't do it without you. He loves you too much, and he has way too much of an investment in you to not include you in his miraculous power. And some of you are waiting for God to make a move in your life, and God is waiting for you to raise your staff above the Red Sea, to step out in faith so that his power is opened up before you. God will do it for you, friends. He just won't do it without you. And some of you have a promise on your life, so big, so mighty, so powerful. God has promised your family children God has promised you that you will move in your organization in a way to bring the kingdom tangibly in your place and space of work. God has promised you a spouse. God has promised you love, and you're not willing to accept it. God has made a promise on your life, perhaps to go plant a church, to become a missionary, to move to the other side of the world, to be amongst the poor, to dig wells. God's calling on your life comes in a variety of ways, a whole array of means. And you are waiting on God to show up in your life. And he is already there and is waiting on you to step out in faith. And perhaps this morning it all changes as your faith rises in your heart and rises in the room. As you are more familiar with God's power to make a way. Look at verse 23. The Egyptians pursued them, and all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and horsemen followed them into the sea. During the last watch of the night, the Lord looked down from the pillar of fire and cloud at the Egyptian army and drew it into confusion. He jammed the wheels of their chariots so that they had difficulty driving, and the Egyptians said, let's get away from the Israelites. The Lord is fighting for them against Egypt. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea so that the waters may flow back over the Egyptians and their chariots and horsemen. Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and at daybreak the sea went back to its place. The Egyptians were fleeing towards it, and the Lord swept them into the sea. The water flowed back and covered the chariots and horsemen. The entire army 
of Pharaoh that had followed the Israelites into the sea, not one of them survived. I imagine that if I had been part of the Israelite nation and I was, I was looking at the Red Sea gone unparted and looking behind me as the enemy was coming my way, I thought to myself, there's no way. There's just no way. How are we going to get across the water in front of us? How are we going to make it to safe, dry ground again? How will we ever see the promises of God come true in our life? After all, Moses made us a promise that we were going to the land of milk and honey. We were going to the promised land. How is that going to happen now? Moses, why did you take us out of Egypt? I was more familiar and more accustomed to my misery and slavery than I am with this unknown freedom and liberty that you've offered me. Some of you are looking right now at something that seems impossible. You were just diagnosed with something that has no cure. The creditors have knocked on your door. Your spouse has filed for divorce. Your child has rejected the faith. Fill in the blank. And it feels impossible. But God has a reputation. His third reputation is this. Everything God has called you to, he will help you to do. Everything he has called you to, he will help you to do. God is more familiar with your limitations than you are. God is more accustomed to your weaknesses than you are. And when we operate out of our own skill and our own strength and we reject God's power, we're going to get human results. God loves you too much to not invite you into his miraculous, powerful work in and through your life. But just like Moses in front of the Red Sea, he's not going to ask you to do something without asking you to participate with him. He will do it for you, like the powerful God that he is, but not without you. And some of you are this close to raising your metaphorical staff above the Red Sea. And may this morning change that forever as you hear the word of God washing over your soul. I remember looking at Lily and thinking to myself, Lily, what is it going to take for you to step out in faith? The entire environment is in your favor. I mean, we did it all. Like, back in those days, youth pastors pulled out all the stops, folks. Like, we had the best pizza. Like, we had the best music. We were on the beach in Florida. How could God, God not show up in that? So why, Lily, why weren't you willing to step out in faith and meet God? We have helped you so much. And there we were on night five. I want you to imagine the room full of teenagers that all had their hands up, praising God, singing, playing the kind of music that they could even dance to. And there was Lily in the back, just sitting there. And then I realized Lily looked a little different on night five than she did on night one through four. And I remember looking at her, and I remember hearing the Spirit of God on me saying, just pray for her, Luke. Just pray for her. It's like, well, God, I don't. I don't know that, that and nothing's going to, I mean, it's night five, so nothing's going to happen with Lily. So I was like, well, God, if you're going to encounter Lily, I just pray that she'd hear 
your voice and that she'd respond in faith. Move in Lily. Move in her, Lord God. And as the night moved on, we made it available in the pool just down from our accommodations that we were going to do pool baptisms. Unfortunately, night five, nobody had signed up for pool baptisms. So I wasn't sure how that was going to happen either. And so there we were at the end of night five, thinking, well, it was a beautiful week, but God didn't want to encounter these teenagers, and especially Lily, in the way that we'd hoped for and prayed for. And then, out of seemingly nowhere, Lily stood up. I was like, whoa, whoa. Lily stood up. Something's happening. <laughs> she starts to engage in the song. I was like, whoa, whoa, maybe I should pray a little more. Yeah, come on, God, like do something mighty. And Lily, and then I elbowed a couple of the staff teammates. I was like, can you see Lily? She's like engaging right now. She's like looking like she is interested in God. So we started praying for Lily. Nobody walked up to Lily. Nobody said anything to Lily's face. And then, after the song ended, I stood up there and I said, we're going to open up baptisms now. So we want to encourage you to stick around, stay around. We're going to keep playing the acoustic guitar a little bit, keep the mood alive. And if the spirit moves in any kind of way, we want to invite you down to the pool here in just a minute, we're going to baptize you. So there I stood, hoping, waiting for any of these teenagers to respond. And then Lily raises her hand and says, I want to get baptized. And that girl who had spent years away from God, who I didn't think had a chance or a prayer, was she too far gone? There didn't seem to be a way for her. Rose her hand, and she walked down the steps and into the pool. And we baptized Lily in God's name. And it was the most powerful thing, not necessarily for Lily, but because of her step of faith inspired a second and then a third teenager to get baptized. And by the end of the night, 33 teenagers out of 100 ended up getting baptized in Jesus' name. And I will never forget that story. Yeah, praise God. Praise God. If there was a youth pastor part in the Bible, that story would be in it for sure. I will never forget that story because it was revealing of my limitations. It was revealing to me of like, there's no way for, there's no way for Lily. And I was this close to counting her out. And then God made a way. Some of you are so close to counting yourselves out of the faith. You're so close to counting yourself out of the crisis that you're in with your marriage, with your finances. You're so close to counting yourself out, whether you're prodigal son or prodigal daughter would ever return. And you think deep down, there's no way for you or for what you care about. But I'm here to tell you today that the God we serve makes a way. I'm here today to tell you that that's not true and that you can wait on God as you step out in faith and you raise your staff above the metaphorical Red Sea. God is calling you to participate in his promises. And if you are waiting around for his promises to come true, you'll be waiting because he wants to involve you in the process of the promise fulfilled.
So I don't know what that's going to look like for you today, but every single week from here until the end of November, we're going to showcase not just God's stories, but a story within our community. Someone who is actively living out this journey. Someone who's actively waiting on God to break through in their life and make a way. Or someone who has seen recently God break through and make a way. So I'm thrilled at the opportunity to preach five minutes less than I usually do and invite up to the platform this morning Clinton Baker. Would you just give Clinton Baker a round of applause this morning? Clinton and his family helped plant this church uh, back in 2018 and 2019, and I've gotten to know Clinton over the years now, and he's a brother and a dear friend, and I just love him so, so much. And I couldn't help but think of his story of this past season of God making a way when seemingly there was no way. And so I want you to hear Clinton's own story of test and testimony. And so Clinton, thank you for saying yes to this. I'm going to give you this mic, not this one, because this one's kind of like I don't know, demonic or something. So Clinton, share us the story. Thanks, Luke. Um, Luke, I'm going to give you your iPad, though. See, this is, this is the uh, mid-30s size iPad. Luke, in about 10 years, you go for the big one, okay, uh, if, you, if you want any chance of reading it. Uh, well, thank you. Um, I'll, try to keep this, I'll try to keep it pretty short, but uh, I have a tendency to talk for a while, for those of you that have been in huddle with me and things like that. Um, this story kind of starts a long time ago. Uh, you know, I was raised in church, and like like uh, Luke mentioned, you know, some of us eventually fall away, and our parents, I think, pray and hope that we come back, which eventually that happened. Um, and throughout this time, you know, Jennifer and I have got married, and we've helped start a couple of churches, and we've been involved in a lot of times. Um, <clears throat> but there's always kind of been this draw of, well, God, what do you want us to do? You know, we go to work, we go to church, we raise our kids. But what do you really want from us? What do you really have planned for us? How can we step into that? And so I remember at a conference uh, about seven years ago, maybe eight years ago, sometime around then, I was at a business conference. I'm, I'm an accountant. I was at a business conference, and there was this leadership session I was in, and the, the first activity was to go through and find your personal why. And then you're like, what do you mean your personal why? You know, a lot of companies have vision statements, but this was find your personal why. And I literally set my pen down <laughs> and I said, uh, if I actually answer that honestly, I know it means quit my job. You know, that was seven years ago. I don't know why I'm, I don't know why I'm getting choked up, Luke. <laughs> um, but, but anyway, that was, that was seven years ago. And uh, through that, we moved with the firm to Indiana, which never would have happened had I quit that job. But there was just kind of this longing of, well, God, what do you want, what do you want me to do? What do you want us to do? as a family. And so I remember going through huddle here at Mercy Road. And I remember talking to Luke about there's a lot of people at the church that have these really cool ministries, you know, and they're doing all these cool things. And I just don't feel like, I just don't feel like we have that. I don't feel like I have that. And he gave me this book. Um, it's a really good book. I don't even think you remember giving it to me. But um, he gave me this book and it just really spoke to me about what God had planned, uh, planned for us. And so kind of fast forward a few years, uh, Till, till last year. Um, last year, I quit my job, <laughs> and I was a partner in a big CPA firm, top 100 firm, um, by kind of human standards, very successful, uh, very blessed by any standards. And Jennifer and I started our own firm, and it started out really small. 
And God's just been growing that and doing, doing really amazing things. We've had uh, three firms join us uh, this last year, 30 people in the firm now. I mean, just blows my mind. Uh, thank you. <laughs> but um, the part I want to share, again, I can't believe I'm getting choked up. I've done a lot of public speaking. This doesn't happen. <laughs> but um, I remember last fall, uh, it was a week before closing, and I just, uh, I we'd hit a roadblock. And all of a sudden, I remember sitting there thinking, um, I've left this great job, you know, with great people. I still love my old firm. I still talk to them on a regular basis. Um, and I remember thinking, God, what are you doing? You know, I mean, I'm not standing here on the edge of the Red Sea, but I'm thinking like, God, what are you doing? Why why'd we do this? This is all going to fall apart. And I remember waking up at, you know, 3 o'clock in the morning and just like praying, God, like, do this, do that. You know, I was trying to answer. I was trying to provide the answer to God that I needed. And I remember kind of in desperation, just praying one night, God, would you just bring breakthrough? And that was the only word I could say was just breakthrough. And uh, the next morning I woke up and went and did my first meeting. It wasn't anything all that unusual. And then... um, Luke, can you hand me a tissue right over there, man? Uh, <laughs> thanks. So it wasn't anything unusual, just kind of a normal meeting. Thanks, man. I thought that was because I was going to sweat, but I think I need it for something else. Um, and so it was kind of an early lunch, and I was like, well, you know, I'm just going to call uh, call one of my old partners at my old firm. His name's Justin. And... Uh, we went to lunch, nothing unusual. We used to go to lunch all the time. He said, what's going on? So I start kind of telling him. <laughs> and right then, as I tell him the problem that I'm facing, that I'm, I'm, I'm concerned because here again, we've left this great place trying to go where God wants us to go, and there's this obstacle in the way that it, for me, seemed insurmountable. And it was so amazing because Justin goes, why don't you just blah, blah, blah? I had never thought of blah, 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 (laughs) you know? It's like in all my negotiating with God about, well, God, why don't you do this? Why don't you do that? Why won't you you make this happen? That, it had never come to me that the solution was right there. It was, instead of me trying to find the solution, it was just praying for God to bring breakthrough. And that may not seem like a big thing. You might be facing something a lot bigger. You know, you might be facing something uh, a lot scarier. You might be, Like Luke said, you might be facing some diagnosis. You might be facing infertility. You might be facing something else, you know. But at the end of the day, when we are faced with these obstacles that we don't know how to get around, sometimes breakthrough is the only thing we can ask for, okay? When you know nothing else to ask for, just ask for breakthrough, okay? Luke asked me to share. Again, I'm going to try to keep this a little bit short. Luke asked me to share, what would you say to somebody who is hoping and praying for God to move today? The first thing I would tell you is, I'd share James 5, 16 with you. The fervent prayer of the righteous is powerful and effective. Righteous doesn't mean you've cleaned up your life. Righteous just means you've turned back to Jesus. He'll make you righteous. So the first thing is just humble yourself before the Lord. Just tell him, I don't have the answers. God, I don't have them. And then fervently pray. What does fervently pray mean? 
To me, it means over and over again with conviction. You know, the answer might come the next day like mine did, or it might come seven years later like that other prayer did. You know? God's not a genie in a bottle. We don't get to rub the lamp and have him come out and grant our wishes. We've got to put effort into this too. Second thing I would tell you, Romans 8.34, Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father and makes intercession for us. Jesus is praying for you. You don't have to tell Jesus what you need. Just ask him for breakthrough. That's it. Or your version of that phrase. Just ask him to move on your behalf. He already knows what you need. He already has the answer lined up. He already has your Justin out there. <laughs> okay? The last thing I want to share. Uh, if the band could go ahead and come on out. Uh, the last thing I want to share, it's one of my favorite passages. Isaiah 30, 31, and 32. This is the prophet Isaiah writing at the time. <clears throat> But the voice of the Lord will shatter Assyria. Assyria was the enemy of Israel at the time. With his scepter, he will strike them down. For every stroke of the Lord lays on them. With his punishing rod will be the music of tambourines and harps. As he fights them in battle with the blows of his arm. There is something amazing about worship that God has planned. This may not be your style of music. This may be too loud for you. This might be too whatever for you, okay? It isn't about any of that. Are you willing to engage in worship where God can speak over you and God can speak to you, okay? Are you willing to engage with him, right? Because that's what he wants. He's there with us, you know? And again, we may not be standing on the side of the Red Sea and we may not be, you know, facing the same things. Your issue might be way bigger than mine was. But it's the same God and none of it's too big for Him. His authority covers all of it. So what we're going to do is I'm going to turn this over, back over to Maddie here in a second and Spencer. We have just a couple more songs planned. But go ahead and stand if you would. And here's the thing, in these last few minutes... If you need breakthrough in your life, okay, if you're tired of trying to give the answers to Jesus and you just need God to move in whatever your situation is, whether it's health or finance or relationships or your business or your school or whatever, if you just need God to move, we have a prayer room right back there. You can, everybody turn and look with me to that little room back there. Okay, the light's on, okay? There are people in there who will pray with you. And guess what? You don't have to give them your whole story. You don't have to be embarrassed about what you're going through. You don't have to try to tell them the answer you want them to pray for you. If you just go back there and say, would you pray for breakthrough? Okay? They'll know what you mean. They'll give you the privacy. Okay? So our prayer team's back there. I know Luke mentioned he was going to head back there in a minute. But uh, that's this morning's invitation. And so uh, this is Spencer's mic. I need to give it back to him. But uh, while we kind of do that transition, we'll go ahead and get started in worship. Don't wait, okay? Don't wait. All right, God's here right now. There are people in that prayer room with you. Just go and ask him for breakthrough. Whatever you're facing, again, might be bigger than my deal, but I guarantee it's not bigger than the Red Sea. 
I guarantee it's not bigger than the chasm that exists between our sin and God. And he took care of that too. He has authority over that. Okay? He wants us. He wants to give us that breakthrough. All right? Let's just go ahead and worship him.